0: Hello, hello. And welcome, welcome once again to the secrets of the high demand coach. And I am here with yet another high demand coach and consultant, and that is Natalie Bourne. She's the founder and chief disruptor at Innovation Meets Leadership. And as an accomplished executive with two approved US patents to her name and over 15 years of experience leading product development teams, she is consistently willing to share her expertise to ensure companies are designing their products and strategies with the customer at the center of their design. Natalie is also a keynote speaker, a podcast, and an innovation facilitator. And Natalie, I'm so excited to have you here because what's really cool is you're a local. We know each of the same folks. So, uh, you know, typically on podcasts, one of my first questions is, where are you calling in from? Because I'm, you know, I got someone in Australia one day and then Wales the next and and then Cleveland, you know. Uh, But we're both here from basically the Peachtree Corners area of Atlanta. So we don't even have to say Atlanta. So I'm so excited to have a local on the show. And uh, really excited to talk about innovation because I know this is just what you've given yourself to and just have an incredible track record with it. But before we go there, I'd like to just take a step back and say, well, tell us your story. What were you doing before getting into helping folks in in the innovation space? And how did you ultimately decide to make the leap into coaching and consulting?
1: Sure. Thanks for having me, Scott. So, you know, my backstory starts in early 2000s during the dot-com boom, right? So uh, we all remember that time. It was such a fun season and I got brought on. Uh, I was 19. I was still in college and I got brought on, had a real job at 19, um, was working at careerbuilder.com and I ended up just having an amazing career there for almost 11 years. And so what was so cool about that time and I think kind of what shaped me in that culture was You know that organization at the time was growing so rapidly that if you weren't getting a promotion every like nine to twelve months, you were kind of like, is something wrong with me? Am I am I doing something wrong? But we were just growing at such an incredible pace. So I got a job in project management, and I was outsourcing uh, to uh, West Indies and Nevis. And I'm not even old enough to rent a car, so I had to bring a colleague down there with me so that we could uh, so I could get around. And later. I got introduced into international product development. And that is honestly where my career really took off and where I kind of found my, if you will, first love of just innovation, international product development. Um, That career would take me to over 18 countries working on different products, um, mergers and acquisitions, launching businesses organically, and then also just working with founders. And I had such a love for... Uh, the grind and the gruel that it takes to start something from nothing right just building something from the ground up and so that really launched my career working at career Builder and it was such a blast it was a great time and that launched me into product development just in general and that understanding that when you're when you're selling something it has to be ubiquitous right we can't just sell it to the one person we have to figure out how do we replicate that again and again and then not only that it has to be urgent so how do you create a product that people love that's urgent, and then making sure that people are actually willing to pay for it. And so that's the piece that really launched my career.
0: Wow. Well, wow. fascinating. So we fast forward. Uh, you've been doing this for a while now. What would you say some of the most important work you're doing with teams today?
1: Yeah. So, you know, some of the most important things, and and I kind of like to put them in three buckets. So mostly with teams, I'm working on one of three things. We're either creating something new. And that's kind of that idea of when you're building a framework for success with a company, with a team, you're asking really three questions. How do I make it repeatable? How do we make it viable? And then how do we make it livable? So if you're implementing a framework that people can't live out, it's not a powerful framework, right? So it's Mm -hmm. really focusing on these three things. The other thing that I'm constantly doing is helping people figure out how to disrupt their market. So oftentimes, uh, companies like to kind of play the hand they were dealt, or they play the hand the industry is dealt. And they're not thinking about how to actually traverse their industry and look at other industries so that they can find disruptions that they can bring back to their market. And so there's just a beauty in what I get to do, which is look across all these different industries and say, well, they're doing this really well over here. Why are we not doing it over here? Like, well, let's connect the dots and bring these things together. And so yeah. that's really fun. And the last thing is is launching, just helping people launch big, bold ideas. And so part of the challenge with launch is we want to uh, lower our risk as much as possible, because so often um, you see these slow moving train wrecks, right? Where people try to launch an app or a thing. Now they're millions of dollars in and they still don't know what they're doing. And so we want to de-risk and launch quickly. We want to fail fast, fail cheap, um, Mm -hmm. and then fail forward so that we can actually accomplish what we're being called to do in that line. So. that's really kind of, you know, what I do and how I help people think about, you know, how do you create breakthrough in your industry? How do you create breakthrough in your company? And how do you take this thing that's an idea and really figure out whether or not it's viable and launchable? And so often I think we, um, you know, the CEO or, or the founder has this great idea and it goes from idea to development and we don't take it through its paces to make sure that we are not building something for ourselves, but building kind of. That minimal, lovable product that people actually want to use and invest yeah. in.
0: Yeah. As we've been talking, even you've, you've kind of alluded to working with organizations from the beginning to bigger organizations. I even know from your background, you worked with some really large organizations. And the question that I have is: Does innovation change, uh, you know, by in these different modes of creating or disrupting or launching? And does it does it is it different for big organizations and small organizations?
1: Yeah, that is such a great, great question. And it's a question that I think is so important because working in large enterprise organizations where, you know, we are huge, massive, lots of money, what you find the real challenges with large organizations is uh, there's a lack of focus because there's so many initiatives. Yes, they have money, but they're on these older, antiquated software platforms that don't enable them to move and scale at the rate that you would actually expect. As a matter of fact, if you were to actually peer behind the, the door, or the curtain of some of these organizations and saw how old and antiquated the software that they're on, you'd actually be pretty surprised. You'd be shocked. And so what oh. we find is that these smaller organizations that can come in, they can serve the customer faster, cheaper, better and they can be more nimble. So people are really surprised to find out that large organizations frequently fear these smaller organizations because of their ability to come up with the idea, validate it with the customer and move to market much faster. So wow. that's, that's the beauty of being smaller and scrappy. Now, part of the challenge also with being smaller and scrappy is how do you Garner the resources you need, right to take this idea and launch it quickly. And so you mm. see kind of this these pros and cons right of of both areas. And so that is why, right? A lot of these smaller organizations, if noticed enough, get purchased because these larger larger organizations can't necessarily, deliver on the, the nimbleness. And so there is a beauty, there's a challenge, but there's a beauty to being nimble. And so a lot of times, again, in larger organizations, you have slow moving train wrecks when trying to deliver, uh, because there's so many facets to the enterprise that they have to jump around in order to deliver. As a matter of fact, I worked at one organization where we used to do this all the time. Okay, great. We're going to launch this new project. We have 10 different platforms because we bought, all these, um, we bought all these companies and we didn't integrate them into our platform. So it'll work on platform A, but not platform C. It might work on platform D, we'll have to test it, but it's definitely not going to work on platform E. And it's just, it's insanity versus having one scaled platform where you can have an idea, test the idea, begin to um, roll that idea out and deliver it to the market.
0: Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. And, and I couldn't agree more. It's it's interesting how um how much small organizations Overvalue the the downside, right? The resource side. They think that's yeah. the game, and and just totally miss the distinct advantage that they have. Right. Um, and so I love the way that you articulated that. It was just so clear, and it's really powerful. On the flip side of it, though, how do how do you scale innovation? Right. So how do you you know because a lot of organizations that do well that figure that out, right? That figure like, hey, if we're nimble fast, that's an advantage. We're going to run with it. Well, then they grow, right? They yeah. get more. Compl- Complex. They they right. start having some of these antiquated systems. So, how do you how do you scale and sustain innovation?
1: Yeah, two two main things, and such, you're asking such a great question. Two main things that are required, and I feel like these are so important. One, uh, your culture helps to scale innovation and we can talk about that in just a second. And the other one is your foundation. And so what happens oftentimes is people have shaky foundations and then they try to build on top of it and they can't figure out why what they're trying to innovate on it continues to crumble. Mm. So a lot of what we have to do when looking at an organization is we ask what is the foundational things that you've built your technology, your software on? Let's let's uncover that and figure out is there stability in that. If there's not stability, there's no business innovating, right? We have to infuse stability into the structure before we can begin to think about innovation. And that is Truly step one is to build that stability. Step two is culture. And so we talk a lot about failure, right? Like what is your uh, tolerance for failure? And again, we want to minimize the number of failures that people have, but we also want them to fail fast. We want them to test it when it's small, not grow it big and fail big, right? We want them to test small, fail small. And so a lot of times organizations, they they don't allow for failure and their attitude towards failure is one where it's detrimental so you'll be fired right you'll be um publicly shamed you um you may not lose your job but you kind of lose your ability to 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 pitch ideas again right so we see all these things In an ecosystem. And so culturally, um, if we don't allow for failure and teach people how to fail, then then we're actually doing them a disservice. And that that actually thwarts innovation within our organization. So I think a lot about, you know, my kids, like they were taking karate and Krav Maga. And one of the first things they teach you in that class is how to fall. And then they show you how to get back up. And it's unfortunate, but oftentimes in most organizations, we don't teach people how to fall down and get back up gracefully. So basically their failure becomes kind of their scarlet letter, right? And then it's detrimental and they're not able to move forward. When enough people see that failure is detrimental, innovation ceases to exist within an organization because nobody's willing to take the risk because risk equals shame and nobody wants to go down that route.
0: Yeah. Yeah, wow. Uh, I've I've felt for a long time, one of the biggest tragedies in larger organizations is the existence of an innovation department, Mm -hmm. right? Because almost like it's never the intent, right? But it, it almost always leads to, oh, we don't innovate here, we innovate here, right? We we do it in this of space. And, and and it's understandable because essentially what we're trying to do is what you said. We want a part of the organization that can fail fast. We want a part of the organization that is small enough and safe enough that we can mess up and it's not going to end things. So how do you, and, and I love that you've talked about doing this culturally, but how do you do that culturally? What are some of the, even some of the rails to run on in a large organization to to know, you know, are we smothering things, or are we actually keeping ourselves legitimately safe?
1: Yeah, this is so. This is such a great, yes, yeah, such a great question. So, one of the things that I, I think is really important when we think about innovation is um, it has to tr- it has to transfer hands. So, oftentimes, when you go to a country, a company, and you say, "Who owns innovation in this company?" you get all kinds of answers. Oh, well, the CEO owns it, or well, our our technology team owns it, or our product development team owns it, or maybe it's you have a chief innovation officer, right? But it's always over there, they. And when you get into an organization and you say, who owns innovation? We say, well, we, we own it. We all own it. We're all in charge of innovation, whether I'm a frontline employee answering a customer service email or call, or whether I'm the CEO or the COO. Innovation, if we can get the entire organization to believe not just say it, but believe it. That that they own innovation. That's a game changer. So, yeah. Again, I talked about this this company, right? That I grew up in and culturally grew up in. We had so many different ways of getting innovation out of people's minds and infuse into the organization. We had business plan competitions every year, where you would partner up with whoever you wanted, uh, write out your business plan pitch the idea. If you got selected, you were flown to another state where you got to present in front of all of all the executives. The executives wow. would vote on the best idea. And the best idea, that team got to actually go run the idea. So imagine one day, you're head of sales. The next day, you're running a, a small organization based on your idea. And so... What you see, again, guy in technology, IT, you know, IT person, next day, they're running this business. So not only was it, hey, we want your ideas, they were willing to pay for the ideas. So runners up still got money. The person that won got money. But also in addition to that, they got to go run the idea. So it wasn't a give us your ideas, we'll take them and let you know right. if we think they're good enough. It was you have the idea, now go run it. We'll give you the tools, we'll invest in you, we'll we'll give you everything you need to do it. And then on the flip side, right, we created these hackathons and everybody's kind of familiar with those, but, you know, it's a night or two, right? Up all night with pizza and Red Bull for developers to start to tinker, to dream, to be able to build things they wouldn't normally build. We built in Mm -hmm. thinking days on Fridays where you were not allowed to schedule meetings for four hours. And that was a time where you could go take a walk. You could go, you know, to your local coffee shop, but the idea was dream for us. Yeah. You know, a hundred heads, a thousand heads are better than one. So would you take this time? Would you allot four hours to begin to dream about the future? The rest of the week, you can focus on your today, but we want you to take time to go dream. And so investing culturally in those things is what infuses innovation into an organization and what causes people to believe it's not over there. I own it. Like yeah. I am in charge of innovation. Um, you're in charge of innovation. You're in charge of innovation. And so when we transfer that, when we truly transfer it and put our money where our mouth is, meant people start to dream. And that's yeah. just an incredible thing.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love this. I love it. I love it. Uh, and I, again, I could not agree more. Um, and there's just so much richness, richness in here. There's one place where I find this is really difficult, and I want to kind of zoom in on founders for a second. Yeah. So founders, especially on the kind of upswing of an organization's life cycle, they are the innovator, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's largely built around them and then some people to help, you know, and some of them might be more innovative than others. But the big idea comes from a big personality uh, more, you know, more often than not. Yeah. And so I've found, you know, as I'm helping founders to scale, there's these different series of things where we're having them let go, right? And letting someone else step up. And one of the earliest ones is you know, processes and bookkeeping. Get that out of here. Like you don't need to be doing your bookkeeping. Mm-hmm. And, and then operations, right? Someone else can, can come through and execute. And then a big one is sales. And uh, what I've found is that way, way, way later in the game, there comes this point where you've got to decide, am I going to be innovative? Am I going to scratch my visionary itch, right? right. Which is always going to exceed the resources that are available to me. Yeah. Or am I going to build an innovative organization? Because mm-hmm. those two are very different things. So what would you say to that that founder out there who's feeling that? They're like, there's so much that I want to do, right? There's so many ideas that I have. I could bury my team in 13 seconds. Okay. Totally. But I really want to build an innovative company. How do they get How do they get past that?
1: That's such an important point. and here's here's something that someone once said to me that has stuck with me. Um, they said the the gift of the founder usually is the weakness of the organization. So mm. oftentimes, wherever the founder has the most giftedness, that becomes the area that's weakest. And I do believe that's because the founder struggles not to, Reinfuse themselves into that area and get so heavily involved that they kind of step out of their seat and start trying to do the seat of the person that they've asked to run that particular area. And so that is something we see a lot. And so I think part of the way for a founder is they, they need a forum for their ideas to be heard. They need a forum for them to be able to get their ideas out. But guess what? So does everyone else in the company. And so creating some different forums, so um, Pitch Day, Idea Day, where everyone's just kind of pitching different ideas. Um, We have this really fun, as an innovation facilitator, we have really fun games that actually get work done. And I know that doesn't sound like it goes hand in hand. Uh, But one of those is to come in with a few different ideas, to pitch them, and then to start to break up into teams and rotate the ideas to different teams. By the time it gets back to you, it's actually not even your idea It kind of looks like your idea, kind of smells like your idea, but it's a little different. Uh, Someone has taken a different spin on it. And then those ideas immediately within the next few weeks go in front of customers to be vetted and tested. And they come back with scores and rankings on whether or not someone would buy it. Will they buy Mm -hmm. it now? And will multiple customers buy it? So they have, they need to have, they do need to have an outlet to get their ideas out there. The challenge is when it's, When it's more than just um, an idea, when it becomes a thing that has legs and they're asking people to build. And so I've been brought in to uh, help launch products that never should have even been created. And so we've had to say, hey, I know you want I know you think you're launching this in two months, but nobody wants it. So Mm -hmm. let's back up. Let's figure out what people actually want and let's build that. And that's always a shame when something gets all the way from idea and nobody questions it, and then it gets to launch and then it gets out there in the market and we can't figure out why we're having such a hard time selling it, right? Maybe it's our sales team. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And we don't ask the question, did anybody really want this product?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, stunning. Stunning. Uh so all right. Here's a question that I love to ask all of my guests. And and it is, what is the biggest secret that you wish was not a secret at all? What's that one thing that you wish everybody listening today knew?
1: Yeah. I think it's that, you know, I think we know I'm gonna say some part that you know and then maybe a part you don't. I think everybody knows this that breakthrough innovation is not easy. It's just not, it's not easy. I think we all know that. But The, and I've said it a little earlier, but I'm just going to say a little stronger. The best companies are learning from their failures, not their successes. So, so often, you know, what we care about the most is our successes. That's what we want to point to. That's what we want to talk about every week. And nobody's actually taking the time to pull their failures out into the middle of the room and talk about their failures. The best, most innovative companies learn from their failures and failure should actually for us trigger learning. When we fail, we should learn. And so if those two things aren't being triggered together, then we're actually missing out on what that failure was there to create in the first place, which was an unfair advantage, right? When we fail and trigger that learning, that creates an unfair advantage of how we can move forward faster, more rapidly and build what we're trying to build in a more effective way. So I wish the secret that I wish is that more people would learn from their failures instead of focusing so heavily on their successes.
0: Yeah. And, and we've all heard the Edison quote, I never failed. I learned a thousand ways of not doing it or whatever that may be. Right. Uh, but but this is not an easy process right like going through especially as a team especially when it was a public launch that didn't Mm -hmm. go well like it's it's difficult to unpack failure and really learn from it what would you say someone let's say someone and uh, you know i'm I'm sure there's someone out there listening in this place but they just they they did that to some degree of either internally publicly or externally publicly Mm -hmm. something didn't go well they're at the you know the face of failure what what do they yeah. do to, to resolve that?
1: Yeah, I think we have to start. And again, it goes back to this idea of culture. We have to ask ourselves, what's our organization's stance on failure? And is that affecting our ability to learn from it? I think we also have to ask ourselves, what was the last time we failed and how did the rest of the organization actually handle that failure. I think that's a key to help us understand that a little bit more. And then I want to. It's almost like I want to ask this question: Have you ever thought about ensuring that the people you hire are actually able to admit failures? Because oftentimes, when we hire uh, people that are not willing to to expose failure, we create an environment in the organization where everybody's hiding the squiggly things right under the rocks. And then those are the eventual things that take us out versus people being able to openly expose, hey, I failed. Let's talk about why, what could be done next time? And so I think that if we have to, we have to help teams understand that failure is not fatal. Um, Failure triggers learning. And so if we can learn from this and we can move forward from this and do it differently. Now, if we continue to make the same issue over and over again, that's a different topic we're dealing with. That could even be Incompetence, but failing and then figuring out what we can do different is different than incompetence, right? Where someone's making the same mistake over and over again.
0: Yeah, yeah, fascinating, fascinating. Uh, I love that. Now uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit on you, and I'd love to. I'm going to have you take off your your innovation uh, disruptive uh, consultant hat. I'm going to have you put on your CEO hat and, and talk to us a little bit about what the next stage of growth looks like for you and your business.
1: Yeah, that's a great, I love these questions today. <laughs> these are great, Scott. So, you know, for me, uh, one of the things I've found is that, you know, everyone that asks me to consult or coach with them is not necessarily the best fit for, for me uh, for the time that I have on my hands. And so part of what um, I've been looking at is what are some ways that I can replicate myself and replicate um, what I'm doing so that other people can get value from it. And so I'm launching a book um, called Set It On Fire. It's all about the art of innovation that's coming out in June of 2023. And then I'm also put, pairing alongside of that some masterclass content. I love helping people, but as you know, Scott, like you, you can spread yourself really thin, very easily and quickly. And so really what I'm trying to do is give people playbooks that they can take back to their organizations and use to figure out how to launch big ideas um, and invest right in their own future and so that's part of the way that i'm trying to figure out well how do i scale some of this content so that other people can garner that and have access to that content
0: amazing amazing well i cannot wait to get my copy uh and uh so it's coming out in june give us the title one more time
1: set it on fire
0: I love it. Set it on fire. So get a uh, get your copy. Uh, come June twenty twenty three. Uh, it's just around the corner. Uh, Natalie, uh, unbelievable. It's so fun having you on. Uh, it's just such a rich conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, just a quick plug: we're at, we're going to turn the microphones around here in a couple of weeks, and we'll be on your uh, Innovation right. Meets Leadership podcast. So, uh, anyone listening, keep an eye out for that as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so just so thankful for having you on. Uh, it was just an absolute blast. To everyone who is listening, uh, your time and attention mean the world to us. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing with us. I hope you got as much out of this conversation as I know I did. And I cannot wait to see you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show and make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you wanna know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.